So the Old Testament reading is from the very beginning of the book of the prophecy of Jeremiah, and it's the story of Jeremiah getting called to be a prophet. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is Jeremiah talking, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and you guys will recognize this. This is the famous, uh, some of you will recognize it, the famous love chapter. And this this is the sermon text for this morning too. Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So at the end of chapter 12, he says, pursue the greatest spiritual gifts. And then he says, but I'll show you a better way. I'll show you a more excellent way. And here's the more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have become, even as as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. 
And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any, any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13. So if I can quickly reset what we did the past couple of weeks. Paul says, Paul argues that God has created a diverse group of individuals to make up one body, the body of Christ. And um, that, that means that we aren't able to be Lone Ranger Christians. That I actually, there's a lot of things about Christianity that I'm really, really bad at. Uh, there's a lot of things about Christianity that I'm really, really bad at. And I need your guys' help. I need those of you who have strengths where I have weaknesses to meet me in those weaknesses. And so one of the things that means is that if I walk here into church acting like I have everything together, what I'm saying is I don't need the body of Christ. In other words, I don't need Jesus. I've got, I've got my life together. I'm good to go. If I don't come in here like completely transparent about my own sin and brokenness, I, I'm saying I don't need salvation. I've already achieved it. I'm Aaron Miller, good pastor man. And you are good Christians. You're good, solid citizens, and you have it all together. And a lot of times we walk into it, this is how we go into church. Actually, our, this is how you walk into your job, right? Is, uh, or walking down the street. I've got, all, I've, got, I've got everything together. I'm good to go. And what we're saying when we do this, I don't need Jesus. Now, we need the body of Christ to match up with those weaknesses and those fallennesses and those brokennesses. Now, the way that the Holy Spirit does this is by giving us gifts. By giving you gifts and me gifts to serve the body. And these gifts are varied, right? I mean, the, the we'll come back to this in a minute. But Paul's like, some of you are eyes. Some of you are mouths. Some of you are knees. Some of you are toes. And all these parts are important. They're not the whole body. You're not going to be the whole body. But you're going to be part of a unit, of a part of the body. And so the question then is, and this is what we talked about last week, how do you find out which part of the body you are? How do you discover your spiritual gift? Do you take a quiz? And, I, you know, you can find these online. If you Google, how do I find my spiritual gifts? There'll be, like, quizzes where you can, like, answer questions about yourself, and it'll say your spiritual gift is... And that's actually kind of a crummy way to find out what your spiritual gift is. Because Paul says, this is the sermon last week, you find out your spiritual gift in community. You find out how it is that you support and help and are part of the community when you're in community. And specifically, you find out in the brokenness of community. We find our spiritual gifts in each other's weaknesses. I have a spiritual gift that I use that helps you in your weakness. That's how I found out my spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gift that helps you, helps me in my weakness. That's how you find out your spiritual gift. Now, Paul's going to expand on that with the reading for today, okay? So, 1 Corinthians 13, a very famous, 
This is the kind of text that's uh, read at weddings all the time, you know, the great love chapter. And uh, if you use the principles in 1 Corinthians 13, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in your marriage, it will be a good thing. But that's not what Paul's point is. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 13 is not to help your marriage or your family life or your, you know, your relationship with your significant other. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 13 is to tell us how to find our spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, we'll come back to this next week. Paul goes back to spiritual gifts and he says, what are the good spiritual gifts to have? What are the spiritual gifts that if you have, the tendency for you will be to make much of yourself and not much of Jesus? And you have to be careful of those things. 1 Corinthians 13, plop down right smack in the middle. Love. What does love have to do with this? I'll give you the short answer. This is, I'm going to summarize the sermon for you in one sentence. The spiritual gifts are pointless without love. The spiritual gifts are pointless without love. Now let me read the first three verses of you. Uh, three, first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 to you. Uh, Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I have like this really powerful spiritual gift where I can speak in languages that everybody can understand, and I can even speak in languages that are angels' languages, non-human languages, but if I don't have love, that gift is pointless. Right? If I have prophetic gifts, verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I'm so locked into the mind of God that I know what the future is even, that I can actually tell you what God is thinking right now, but I don't have love, that gift is pointless. It's a waste. If I have all faith, this is the end of verse 2, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I, if I believe in Jesus so much, there's not even a little gram of unbelief inside of me. I believe in Jesus. This is not true about me. This is a hypothetical. If I believe in Jesus so much that I can perform any miracles, I could even move mountains, but I don't have love, it's pointless. It's just a waste. If, if, I, if I have the ultimate ability to be self-sacrificial, which again, this of course is not me. This is a hypothetical Paul's creating. If I, can, if I can give away all I have, verse 3, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I can like give all of my goods to the poor, and if I can be so faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ that I'm willing to die for it, if I don't have love, it's not worth anything. Now, all these things are good, right? I mean, Paul wants you to have spiritual gifts and exercise them. Paul wants you to have faith. Paul wants you to be self-sacrificial. Paul wants you to hold on to your belief in Jesus, even to death, whatever that death looks like. But, they're all good things, but if you don't have love, those things are completely pointless. Let me, let me give you an example, using the analogy that, that we used from Paul, or Paul used in 1 Corinthians 12 last week. So, let's say that uh, my, my hand here is really, really good at being a hand. Let's say that he can play the piano really well, that it's really good at uh, opening doors, that it's um, very dexterous, you know. But let's say that my nose itches, and my hand is like, I don't care, I'm kind of doing my own thing here. Take care of yourself. The fact that my hand is strong and healthy does my body no good at all. What if my, what if my stomach is hungry, and my hand happens to be really, really good at using a fork and a spoon? But it's like, you know what, I don't, I don't have time today. You're kind of on your own. I'm kind of a lone ranger hand. You know, I kind of have a relationship with Jesus over here by myself. 
and it doesn't feed me. It does my body no good. That This hand being good at using a fork and spoon, completely pointless if there's no love that motivates it to serve not itself, but the whole body. If I'm walking out the door this morning and I get to the door and my hand refuses to open the door, I'm kind of stuck, even though my hand is good at opening doors. Because if there's no love, the body's not going to function. Does that make sense? The spiritual gifts are great, they're necessary, but without love, they're completely pointless. They're at best just ways to glorify ourselves. They're at best just ways for the hand to be like, I'm a great hand, and you all should like back off and recognize, because I'm a great hand. That's not the hand's job. The hand's job isn't to lord it over the rest of the body. The hand's job is to serve a particular function to serve the whole body, and so with the eyes and with the ears and with the knees and with the toes and with the liver and so forth. Right? The spiritual gifts are pointless without love. So that raises the question, that, okay, I hope we're all on board, so we should be loving each other so that the spiritual gifts can actually be activated. What does it, what does it mean to love? And now I'm not going to say anything that's news here, okay? But just bear with me for a second. We have a terminological problem in that we, you and I use the word love in a way that the Bible is not using the word love here. Not a bad way, I hope I'll explain this. And I've said this before, but like, I, I, if I say I love chocolate, what do I mean? I mean that chocolate tastes good to me, right? If I put chocolate in my mouth, it makes my taste buds feel good, and I like, I like to eat chocolate. It makes me happy, something along those lines. I probably wouldn't say things like chocolate makes me happy. I would just say it tastes good. If I say love, I, I love Angela, I frequently mean the same thing, all right? So Angela's pretty. Angela is smart. So if I want to have, like, a halfway intelligent conversation, it's good that she's around, uh, Angela's funny. She cracks me up, and that's good. It's always good to be with somebody who makes you laugh. Um, uh, Angela and I have things in common. So if we want to go to the art museum, if we want to go to the Cardinal game, these are things that Angela likes too, and so we enjoy them together. Now, see what I'm doing? I'm saying, when I say I love Angela, one of the first things that comes to my mind is the ways that she makes me happy. This is not bad, by the way, right? It's not bad to say I love chocolate and mean it tastes good. It's not bad to say, I love so-and-so and mean they make me happy. As long as, when we're thinking about the gifts of the Spirit, we're pushing past that point to what, ta- what Paul is talking about here. Now, what's Paul talking about here? Let me read this to you. Uh, well, you can read it with me. Verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. What, so what does that mean? Patient, this, is that an inner psychological state? I guess so. There's a place that you need to go in your head if you're going to be patient. But patient actually is, it's outward facing. When I say that person's really patient. What I mean is, is I've done some stupid things that would normally irritate normal people, but that per- person is kind of like put up with them, right? That person has been outward focused. I haven't necessarily made that person feel good, but they have decided to be patient with me. Love is kind. That's the next adjective he uses here. Kindness, again, inner disposition, partially true, but it does, re- it does you guys really know good if I'm like inwardly kind, but outwardly I just ignore you. Usually when we say kindness, talk about kindness, we mean like somebody is actually treating somebody outside of themselves in a kind, a gentle, a loving way, right? Patience, kindness. Uh, Let's keep on working here. Love does not envy. I don't look at you guys and wish that I could have what you have, wish that I was in the place that you're in. Love doesn't boast. I don't act like I'm, you know, the whole hand thing. I don't act like I'm better than other people and that they're here to serve me, you know, or whatever. I don't boast, I don't brag, I don't, I don't make much of myself. 
I'm, again, I'm not talking about me personally. I'm, this is the person Paul's describing. I actually am a boastful person, and I'm not patient and kind. So I'm not putting myself up here as, a, as an example. Love does not insist on its own way. Verse, it was also not rude at the end of verse, at the beginning of verse five. It doesn't insist on its own way. This is a big, this is a big one, right? Like, the thing about chocolate is, is you're insisting, you know, sometimes you, I want chocolate. What I'm doing is I'm, I want something that tastes good to me, right? I, I want what makes me happy. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't insist that I get my way. Love insists, love insists that the body gets served. It's not your guys' job to serve me. It's not, it's not everybody's job to serve you or you or you. It's our job together to serve each other with the spiritual. We don't insist on our own way. We insist on the body of Christ's way, right? Uh, uh, keep on moving here. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. And that, so all these things, right? These are, these are all, there's a couple things about here. First of all, love is not a feeling. Love is not something that you feel inside of you. Love is something that you do. Kindness is something that you do. Patience is something that you do. Not insisting on your own way is not how you feel. It's never how I feel. I always want my own way. It's something that you do. Love is not a feeling. It's an action that you do. Second of all, love is not internal to you. Love is external. It's outward facing. Love is not how you feel. You're not always going to feel patient, right? You're not always going to feel kind. Love is always patient and always kind. Love always believes all things. Now, here's the, Paul wraps it up with these four great adjectives right here, or uh, uh, notions. Love, verse 7, love bears all things. Love puts up with all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures. Love endures all things. Okay, so listen, I'm just going to tell you this. If you're like, if you say, I love St. James Lutheran Church, which not all of you do, some of you do, but if you're like a member here and you say, I love St. James Lutheran Church, and what you mean is, uh, I like Pastor Aaron, he's a nice guy, or I like the sermons, or I like the music, or I like that it's close to my house, or I like the programs, or uh, you know, I like the architecture inside, whatever, I don't know what it is. If, you're totally free to say that. That, that, that makes sense. But... True love in the Bible is enduring all things. Like I told you a few minutes ago, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to, there's going to be clunkers of sermons. There's going to be offensive things that I do. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to forget that you were admitted to the hospital and had surgery, and I'm going to forget to visit you, and I'm going to have to beg you to forgive me. And I'm going to need you, if you really love me, to endure with my weaknesses. And, and me with you. Right, so... I'm going to borrow a line from G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, which I would recommend to you guys. In this book, he's talking about love, real love. And he says this, Rome was not a great city because men loved her. No, no, no. That's that's the opposite of what he said. Take that back. Act like I didn't say that. Men did not love Rome because she was a great city. Rome was a great city because men loved her. St. James will not be a great church. Saint J- you, your love for her should not depend upon St. James being a great church because she will not always be a great church. St. James will be a great church if you guys love her. If you decide, I'm going to bear all things. I'm going to endure all things. I am locked in, even, if, even when the pastor's a bozo, because he's going to be. I'm committed to this thing. Even when there are people in the congregation who I don't get along with. Even when there are ministry programs that aren't my favorite ministry programs. Even when the music that we sing is not my favorite music for that week. 
that you endure, that you bear all things. Then St. James Lutheran Church will be a great church. Then the kingdom of God will be a great kingdom. If it stops being about us and start, starts being about the kingdom. Okay, now, so, so far, so good. We, spiritual gifts don't work without love. Love is this outward-facing, non-feeling, self-sacrificial decision to serve other people. Now we have the problem of this. Paul, I am telling you to be patient and kind and enduring all things. But honestly, I, I guess I'm not a patient person. I'm, I'm asking you guys to be completely patient with me, whom you know, maybe some of you know me pretty well, some of you know me marginally. I know my kids super well, and I can't be patient with them. I mean, if, they're, they'll t- if you ask them, they'll tell you, I'm not patient. Oh, I was with, we were with friends on Friday night, and Harry, I was talking, and Harry interrupted me, and I kind of interrupted him back even louder to say, knock it off. And our friends that we were with say, hey, wait, wait, you're kind of hot with the temper there, aren't you, buddy? And I realized, why did I just do that to Harry? Like, I interrupt him all the time, and somehow it's okay because I'm the dad, right? But if he interrupts, you know, he interrupts me, and I'm like, oh, I'm on top of him. You know, you're going to do what's right, boy. You be quiet when I'm, when I'm talking. <laughs> this is not patient. And Paul is saying that if we're going to be a great church, if we're going to exercise our spiritual gifts in a way that serves each other and creates the body of Christ here in Glen Carbon that can move forward with this kingdom of righteousness and justice, I need to be patient. And I can't even be patient with the guy that I love the most of any guys in the room. So what's the solution? Here's the solution. I need you to pay. This is going to be classic Paul. This is a little bit tricky. But I want you to pay attention to the last three verses here. Uh, I'm sorry, verses 8 through the the end of the chapter. Paul says this, Love never ends. What he means is this. Love is permanent. The spiritual gifts are temporary. This, what we have right here, St. James Lutheran Church, is temporary. The body of Christ will one day be here, and we won't need a community of weak people supporting other weak people with spiritual gifts. This is what he says here. Let's read it. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Because we know in part, and we prophesy. In other words, the gift of knowledge that you have, the gift of prophecy that you have, whatever spiritual gift you have, you only have that in a kind of a weak, temporary fashion designed to serve. You know, my hand is a great hand, but my hand's going to get old and sick, and at some point won't be able to work. Somebody's going to have to feed me. This is all temporary and passing. This is all temporary. It's passing away. But check out verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When the perfect shows up, we will no longer have need for the spiritual gifts. Now, what is the perfect? What is perfect love? Let me ask you this. Go back to verse, what is, go, go back to verse four. What is perfect patience? What or who is the one who is always kind? Never unkind. Who is the one who never envies or boasts? Who is never arrogant or rude? You tell me. Who's the one who never insists on his own way? Never irritable or resentful? Who is the one who never rejoiced at wrongdoing and always rejoiced with the truth? Check this out, verse 7. Who is the one who always, always bore all things? Not that he felt like it. Not that it made him physically happy like eating a bar of chocolate does but that he made that covenant commitment with us, with us to bear all things, up to and including all of our sins, so that he could be faithful to the promise that he made to Adam and Eve that he would rescue the creation that they screwed up. 
Who is the one who endures all things, even the cross, so that he could be faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham, that he would use Abraham's family to rescue the whole universe? That he could be faithful to the promises that he made to David, that someday that he would sit on the throne of the universe forever and ever? Who is the one who bears all of my shame and all of my weakness and all of my brokenness and all of my sin purely out of self-sacrificial love for me? This is describing Jesus. He's the only one who can do all of this. And now Paul is telling us, be like that. Paul is saying, be like somebody that you can't be like. And he's described this Jesus who we can't actually match up to. So what are we going to do? Here's the answer. The answer is this. The perfect is coming in verse 10. When the perfect comes, true love is on its way. Jesus is going to return someday, and when he comes back, he's going to give the entire universe true self-sacrificial love. He's going to heal all things. Now, why is Paul telling us to act like this now, when it's something future? Just check this out. It's all future tense. Look at verse 9 again. We know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That's in the future, right, Will? Look at verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Let's not talk about this analogy. But then face to face... Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. This is all in the future. And then he closes off by saying this, so now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's what he means. Your future is the perfect love of Jesus Christ. When God raises us from the dead, he will create a world where we live in perfect love with him. But Jesus has already risen from the dead. 2,000 years ago. And when he did, God pulled that future, the future new creation, God pulled that out of the future. He pulled it out of the new creation and stuck it in this room right here in St. James Glen Carbon. This little slice of new creation where, yes, Jesus is going to come in the future and perfectly make all things new. But even right now, Jesus is in this room completely and perfectly loving you. And Jesus is right now in this room teaching me and you to completely and perfectly love each other. And putting his love in us so that we, be, we can begin to perfectly love each other. Right now, the future is flowing into the presence in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.